Hey folks, you want big league performance in your backyard? Look no further than Steel, S-T-I-H-L, steeldealers.com. You will find one local dealer, I'm sure, very close to you because they have over 10,000 nationwide from blowers and mowers to chainsaws and trimmers. The Steel AK Homeowner Series starts at just $199.99. It's battery-powered. They have electric. They have gas as well. Again, over 10,000 local dealers. Find yours at steeldealers.com, S-T-I-H-L, and get a big league performance in your backyard, as I have done for a number of years. I've told you many times I start my day and finish my day with Boyer's Coffee, especially when the Rockies are at home. I get that uh, cup of mocha that Dev makes special for me from uh, the Boyer's Cafe up on the club level at uh, Coors Field. You can do the same when you're there. You can do the same at home by going to boyerscoffee.com. In fact, they will send you their product right to your front door. So you can pick it online and boom, you don't even have to go to the store. But if you go to the store, they're well stocked there as well. It's boyerscoffee.com. And they always have deals going if you do check them out online. And if you have the opportunity, go up and see their food truck and the many promotions they have usually toward the weekend. It's 73rd and Washington. They have a lot of good eats there as well. It's Boyer's Coffee. They have been brewing great, great coffee in the Rocky Mountain region since 1965. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast. Trade deadline passed. The Rockies held on to Trevor Story. Why? Drew is breaking it down. Plus television analyst Corey Sullivan on where the Rockies should go from here. They've got a, a foundational five starters at this point that can pitch successfully at Coors Field, which is something that this organization has never had. If you can pull it off and you target the arms you want for the bullpen and you get the veteran pieces you want, I think you have to put your foot to the pedal and go. And could there be a career change on the horizon? Horizon for the former Rockies outfielder. Yeah, I think all the little idiosyncrasies that go into possibly forming a team and pushing them to a championship has always, always been in the back of my mind. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts. Leave a comment and tell a friend about the show. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Glad you're along with us for show number 107. Before we get to baseball and the trade deadlines and Corey Sullivan, I have to begin uh, again with the Olympics, just for a moment. Enjoying the Olympics, I quite honestly, because of my schedule, I'm not getting to see as many events live, but I'm catching as much as I can. I've told you in the past, I'm a huge fan of the Olympics. But uh, every once in a while, uh, in sports and in life, Things arise that make you pause and say, huh, why is this still the case or why is this still done in such and such fashion? Well, in watching track and field at the Olympics in the year 2021, I'm a little perplexed that when you're watching races, Every athlete still has bobby pinned to their chest or to their sternum area, their bib number. Have we not progressed enough where they don't have to have safety pins with the, the 
you know, plastic or paper number on their front of their body, that makes no sense. That can't be comfortable. It's 2021. Has technology not come along enough that we can find a different way to identify the athletes as they race around the track? I don't know. Weird thoughts come to my mind sometimes when uh, I'm viewing things and we can do so many uh, uh, wild things that one would have never imagined years ago, yet we still have to um, tape the uh, or, or pin the number on the front of the athlete or the back of the athlete. Kind of makes zero sense to me. Anyhow, enjoying the Olympics. I hope you are as well. Swimming was great. Congrats to Simone Biles, all she's overcome, uh, and, and to still get a bronze on the balance beam. I thought that was uh, pretty cool as well. Looking forward to the final days of the Olympic Games. All right, on to baseball. Trade deadline passed. The Rockies held on to Trevor Story. I think I told you on multiple occasions um, leading up to the trade deadline and even much earlier in the year when the trade deadline wasn't such a sexy topic that I thought there was a strong likelihood that the Rockies would take the compensatory pick at worst and not trade Trevor Story. Uh, I'm not patting myself on the back. I, I just felt that uh, reading the tea leaves, that was what was probably going to occur. Uh, Billy Schmidt, who took over a couple of months ago after the resignation of Jeff Breidich, said he listened to a number of different scenarios and did not feel that what was offered was better than holding on to him and taking the compensatory pick. He did allow that the Rockies would love to keep him in the fold going forward. Uh, that seems unlikely for you know, a variety of reasons. I think that, you know, Trevor um, has come out without quote unquote being on record and saying, I'm not going to resign with the Rockies. Again, reading the tea leaves, uh, reading the nonverbal communication. Um, I, I think that, that Trevor is going to see what else is out there and he's entitled to that. I saw an interesting evaluation of all the moves made with the prospects, not the big names, not the big leaguers, but the prospects returned by fan graphs, which uses algorithms and, and you know analytics to determine where these players are and project them where they may be when they get to the big leagues. And they also valued the compensatory pick that it looks like the Rockies will receive um, next spring or, or summer when the draft takes place. And there were, I believe, 19 players moved that they had slightly ahead of that compensation pick or way ahead of that compensation pick. And there are really only a couple of those, and I'll get to that uh, in a minute. It is looking into the wild blue yonder and trying to predict, you know, who does what down the road. And many of these guys are removed uh, may not do a whole lot, and, and some may reach uh, the big leagues and have nice careers, and, and maybe a handful of them um, have prominent careers. You don't know, and you don't know until four or five years down the road uh, how it plays out with uh, the compensation pick the Rockies get. They've had, they've had success with compensation picks and, and the second-round picks, which you know is in a similar 
uh, area, if you will. And, and they've had misses, just like every other team. Um, I, I think that Billy Schmidt, I, I can't say this for sure, maybe a little bit influenced by the fact that he has run the draft and been good at it, by and large, for a couple of decades. Uh, so he knows that uh, there is great, great value in having a pick somewhere in the 30s or early early 40s in addition to whatever their first round pick is next year. And it should be, again, in the top 10 based on uh, the Rockies' record. So I thought it was, it was interesting from Fangraphs how they uh, broke that down. What we don't know, and this plays into the first part of this conversation, what we don't know is what was offered for Trevor Story. And we don't know how much his below Trevor Story-like performance in the first few months of this year and the fact that he, he was down a little bit with an elbow uh, injury and doesn't appear to be ripping the ball across the diamond influence teams that need help immediately because this is a two-month rental. And you're not going to give up the kitchen sink, the proverbial kitchen sink, for two months, especially if you're not sure that that player is 100% healthy. I think Trevor's pretty healthy. I think he has been affected greatly uh, this year by the uncertainty of the trade deadline and where ultimately he may be um, in the summer, and we know where he's going to be now the rest of the summer, or where he would be you know, down the road. Has it affected his performance? He would never admit it. He's too classy a guy. He, he's That's not how he's wired, but it has to. He, he's just human. So maybe somebody out there, one of these contending teams, uh, you know, call, I'm sure they, you know, a number of teams called on him. And um, did they value him, the same, value him the same way they would have valued him, you know, five months ago? Maybe, maybe not. I also want to point something out. I, I looked at all the picks that were moved, excuse me, all the all the minor league players that were moved. In terms of players that were rated first or in the top three or four in an organization, there was only a couple of players moved. And interestingly, they were out of the Dodgers organization. And the Dodgers got in return a Hall of Fame pitcher who's still pitching at a Hall of Fame caliber in Max Scherzer. And they got a guy that could be an MVP candidate in any given year in Trey Turner. They got a boatload back, and they gave up basically their top two prospects. One kid uh, who, who pitched against the Rockies, who's already uh, in the big leagues, JoJo Gray, Josiah Gray, goes by JoJo. Big right-handed arm. Uh, he's a, a New York area kid. He was a college pitcher and really rose in prominence. He goes to Washington along with one of the top catching prospects in baseball. Well, the Dodgers system is so deep, they have already at the big league level one of the top young catchers in the game performing at a high level in Will Smith. So they were able to trade their top two prospects and in return got a Hall of Fame pitcher and an outstanding position player, uh, primarily a shortstop, but he can play other places if necessary in Trey Turner. Every other player moved, big names included, did not garner a, a first or second prospect in an organization. Chris Bryant went to the Giants. The top prospect that the Cubs got in return was the 10th ranked prospect in the Giants system. 
So every time I think that we hear, oh, they got, you know, two or three prospects, that doesn't mean they got the two or three best prospects in a given organization. So my hunch is Trevor Story was not going to bring back a first, you know, a, a top prospect or even a, the number three or four prospect in an organization. It's just that's how it works. We'll see down the road. But I wasn't surprised overall. When you go down to John Gray, John Gray probably would have brought back, you know, some interesting pieces because then you get a starter for eight, nine, 10, 11 starts the rest of the year. John Gray is a young man that has become really, really comfortable pitching in Denver. And I don't just mean by performance. John Gray, like a lot of us, sensitive young man who has, you know, overcome at times his own insecurities to reach a comfort level and a production level in a Rockies organization that has him not looking afar to try to find the next big paycheck and another organization. And the Rockies, it sounds like, are already in conversation with John Gray um, what level, I'm not sure right now, but if I had to bet, I would feel really comfortable saying John Gray will be back in a Rockies uniform, and that's why they didn't want to move him. It also gets to something I'm going to talk about here in a moment, the strength of this team, the starting rotation. Uh, a couple of other guys that I thought you know could potentially get moved weren't Daniel Bard, C.J. Crone. Billy Schmidt came out and said that Daniel Bard – uh, is somebody they want in the fold. They control him for another year. The bullpen is an area that needs major fixing. Now, with Daniel Bard, he would have brought a piece back, just like Michael Givens brought a couple of uh, younger prospects back. I'm intrigued by Noah Davis, who, who the Rockies got uh, in that deal for, um, for Michael Givens. He's having a really good year, uh, striking out uh, well over a hitter per inning. Um, Low batting average against, a little further along. So I'm intrigued by Noah Davis. We'll see how that one, uh, again, pans out. Same thing we always talk about with draft picks and, um, you know, trades of prospects in baseball. But going back to Daniel Bard, he's done very well against right-handed hitters. We know he's overcome a ton. He's a great story. He brings a great deal of leadership and maturity and wisdom to that bullpen. He has struggled mightily, though, against left-handed batters. Not going to dodge that. And is he a closer? Uh, he can close games, and, and he's you know been reasonably effective, though he's blown uh, more than you'd like also, to be honest. But it's a power arm, 97 to 100 miles an hour, with a wicked slider. They need arms in that bullpen. They need arms that they can trust in that bullpen as they remake it uh, going forward. And since they controlled Daniel Bart, they took him basically um, – out of the mix when teams called upon him or called and inquired about him. C.J. Crone, not a lot was said about him. You know, would, would a team have given, you know, some sort of mid-level prospect potentially because, you know, it's a, it's a big bat, especially American League club, that they can DH him and don't, you know, necessarily have to play him at first base. Uh, don't know what happened there. I know that they value uh, C.J. because he gets on base even when he's not hitting. He'll take a walk. He is a power threat. Uh, he has done better at first base than he did early in the season. He's just average uh, defensively. The DH is coming, 
and maybe the Rockies say, you know, he can be a piece as they uh, as they move forward that is not an expensive one uh, necessarily. So that's a breakdown of the trade deadline. Now, I'm a big one. I'm kind of discuss this with Corey in a little bit. You can't change what happened yesterday. You can't undo the Nolan Arenado deal. You can't undo... Um, you know, not making a, a stronger attempt or an attempt at all to sign uh, DJ LeMahieu. Uh, Dick Montfort is uh, on record as saying that's one he would wish he had a do-over on when he had the press conference, uh, you know, months ago, uh, letting DJ uh, go out the door. You can't undo what has happened in the past. We know that in life. Uh, we certainly understand that in sports. So where the Rockies are right now in early August, they are a team that's clear strength is their rotation. They've played much better baseball for whatever that's worth because it's not going to amount to anything in the big picture in 2021. They're not going to the playoffs. We all understand that. We've realized that for a long time. So you look at 2022 and 2023 in the near term and say, what kind of team can the Rockies be? Well, if the Rockies had a horseshit rotation, I'd say, you know what? You got to strip this thing down and completely rebuild. The most important element of a team in baseball, as you are aware, is starting pitching. The sport never changes from the time you're watching your kids play at 8, 10, and 12, on up through high school, and if, and if you watch college baseball, and certainly if you watch big league baseball, pitching is number one, pitching and defense. Well, the Rockies, I could make, I, I think, a very cogent argument that they have the best starting pitching they've ever had. They have a, a number one in Herman Marcus. They have a guy that has pitched like a, a, a strong two um, again. And I say that because Kyle Freeland went through his struggles, as you know, in 2019. But in 2018, he was a Cy Young candidate. His last seven starts as we tape. Uh, he had to leave a little prematurely uh, last night because he was hit on the foot against the Cubs. His last seven starts, he has a sub-2 ERA. He's been brilliant. He's been among the best pitchers in baseball over uh, you know, a six-week period of time. Ditto for Herman. Ditto for John Gray. I know Austin Gomber had, had a rough outing. He went just one inning, gave up four uh, in his last outing. But Austin Gomber's been a really good piece. That's four. Uh, is coming back. Uh, Sensatella is a back-of-the-rotation guy, but somebody you can trust, somebody who pitches uh, effectively at Coors Field. And you look and you say, wait a second, that rotation, I've said it on this podcast before, I've said it on AT&T, that rotation is good. There are, I guarantee you, at least 20 teams, if not more, that say, hey, I'll swap our rotation for that Rockies rotation. That's how well thought of that rotation is. They are in their prime. They're ready to win right now. That is why putting together and addressing your other areas of weakness and doing it in the near term is of paramount importance. I'll reiterate again, if this rotation was just, yeah, they had a guy or two and they're trying to build it up, then you start looking three and four years down the road. You start looking in low A and high A and say, who's here and who projects to be part of the solution three or four years from now? With the Rockies rotation, they need to figure out a way 
to be a contending team in 2022 and certainly 2023 because you don't know how long those guys are going to be, quote-unquote, in their prime. said this to before also. <laughs> there are three guarantees in life, man. Death, taxes, and pitchers get hurt. I'm knocking on wood right now that that doesn't happen with the, the core group of Rockies. But you got to complement those guys now. And the two biggest areas of need, shockingly, and following the Rockies as long as we all have, the offense has to improve. Can some of it potentially happen within? Yeah, um, you need some good stories, as I like to say. I'm fond of saying that. The Max Muncy's, the Chris Taylors of the world, that they're easy to point to with the Dodgers, given their success and given the fact that those guys were, were somewhat obscure, came to prominence and stardom. Uh, with the Dodgers. You do need some good stories. You have to have a plan, though. Hope can't just be a plan. Keeping your fingers crossed can't be a plan. Um, that, that Sam Hilliard all of a sudden becomes, uh, you know, a 35 home run, 30 skill guy. Is it in him? I think it is, but you can't just bank on that. So where do you go if they're the Rockies, if you're the Rockies, to improve that offense from where they are right now? They've been better of late. They have been much better of late. The road trip, four and six, and they went and hit 18 home runs in 10 games out on the West Coast. Never saw that coming, especially a team uh, that's been dead last in road home runs this year. So, so we have seen you know definite improvement. Look no further than behind the plate with uh, with Diaz. I mean, he has been terrific. Nothing short of terrific uh, offensively over the last six seven weeks. Uh, guys do improve, and, and that's been a gr- really good story for the Rockies. But to improve that offense, they're going to have to go out and try to sign at least two guys that are probably, you know, in the 30, 32 range, even 33 range, that you can sign on shorter term deals that can still be impactful. They've done it before. Colorado is still a very desirable landing spot for any position player, given that you're playing half your games at Coors Field, as you know. And it is a beautiful place to live. And I think if you do your homework, you say, wait a second, you can win there. If you're going to bring the argument, well, you know, people want to win, especially guys that have been around for a long time, they're into their 30s. And and my point is, they're going to do their homework and look at that rotation and say, wait a second. They can improve that offense. They can win there. That that has to be a must because the Rockies are not going to sign. I wouldn't advise them to go out and sign, you know, or compete to sign the the player that is going to command a hundred and fifty million dollar deal plus. If they were going to do that, they would have tried to find a way to retain Nolan Arenado. Um, they would have, you know, tried to retain, or I'm sure they still will, uh, Trevor Story. There's value in spending, in doing the three-year, three times 15, and getting positive return there. There are guys out there that can help. We'll delve into some of the names when it, when, when the, the market crystallizes a little bit more uh, in the coming months. That is an absolute must. And the second part of it, and probably more difficult because pitchers don't want to come here, is the bullpen. You have to have vast improvement in the bullpen. From an ERA perspective, and we know they're never going to win an ERA title um, because of where they play, but 
They were 29th in baseball a year ago in earned run average out of the bullpen. And this year they've been 29th or 30th uh, most of the year when stats have been accumulated. That must improve. And that's harder because, again, pitchers aren't raising their hands saying, hey, give me, a, give me a deal in Colorado. You're getting guys who you're hoping to bounce back because they have very poor years, um, that sort of thing. Um, so that's a little more difficult to address. You need improvement within. You need bounce back from within. Yancy Almonte in a short season in 2020 was good. Uh, not so good in 2021, as we know. Uh, but they have to get better there. There has to be growth with the Gilbreths and the Bowdens of the world. But they have to find a piece or two and maybe be creative in getting a piece or two to assist um, in that bullpen. Those two areas, though, are a must. This, for me, is not long-range. This is a team, again, because of that rotation, that I really do believe can win um, next year and the year after. But it's going to take some help in those uh, aforementioned areas. The farm system continues. Uh, you have to upgrade. There's some young guys I'm going to talk about after the Corey Sullivan interview um, that I'm going to uh, give you some insight to because um, there are some good things going on down there. But overall, the trade deadline has passed. Story's going to be a rocky for a couple of more months. Um, and then he's uh, it, probably going to move on. You're going to get a compensation pick. But the Rockies can make a significant leap, I believe, in 2022. But it's going to take some some good decisions, some bold decisions, and uh, you know, money uh, out the door on the free agent market that is not the top tier free agent market. So with that, um, I'm going to have a conversation now that I think uh, you'll appreciate with a guy who is a deep thinker, a guy who played in the big leagues, as you know, for a significant period of time, and um, a, a guy that uh, looks at baseball from all different levels. One of my partners on our uh, television broadcast, Corey Sullivan. He's our Ideal Home Loans interview of the week. All right, we kid you sometimes, Corey, um, on the air and off the air, uh, less so. But you actually, I, I think, at some point in time, have a strong interest in working in a front office and and perhaps uh, you know being a general manager if the if the planets align. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think uh, the difficulty and. You know, all the little idiosyncrasies that go into possibly forming a team and pushing them to a championship has always, always been in the back of my mind. How much, Corey, how much has that changed for you since you came up and played the game? You've always been a deep thinker, but, you know, when you're involved playing and you have an idea of what probably, you know, a team needs to do to get over the hump, so to speak. And how much has it evolved since you've been out of the game and still working in the game? I think it's it's kind of always just been there. And since I was when I played, I couldn't really – I don't want to say I couldn't think that way. I, I couldn't remove myself from the equation, if you know what I mean. So it made me less objective. And I feel like since I left the game as a player, I've become more objective and – you know, I've, I've been accused a lot of times of thinking I know everything. I think that that is a Sullivan genetic flaw. And I think since I've stepped away from the game, I've been able to 
kind of slow that thought process down and really just started to understand the chessboard of a major league baseball team. It is one of the hardest things, you know, I'm taking you back now because you kind of struck a chord with me when, when you played. And, and obviously when you play, you got your close friends. Um, one of them you get to work with every day in, in Spilly, who obviously you played with for, for a long time. But is it hard to, if you're in the front office, on the third floor, if you will, of the Rockies organization, to divorce yourself from relationships made, affections that you may have, and truly run it as a business? Yeah, I think uh, I think I've learned more and more. I mean, obviously, my father was a businessman, and I learned a lot from him. And obviously, you want to be loyal, but I think your loyalty is also to, if they're real friends or, you know, anything like that, is just to being honest with them uh, in, if you're in that position. I think that also helps with the functionality of the business. Uh, I think when you're just loyal, just to be loyal, uh, you're not doing a service to yourself or to your friends. When Trevor was not traded, that, I'll let you fill in the blank, that surprised you, that didn't surprise you at all, mildly surprised, how would you characterize it? Uh, I think surprised but inquisitive, meaning I want, you know, I, I don't want to judge because to me, I don't know the facts. And I think that's one of the things I've also learned is uh, there are people in positions that have been put there because of their skill set. And to me, until we know the facts or, you know, we may never know the facts, we can't judge. So to me, yeah, I was surprised, but obviously I wanted to listen to reason. When people talk about, okay, the Rockies are just going to get a compensatory uh, first round pick as opposed to, you know, a couple of prospects. And this does fall under, and I've said this also, um, this does fall under, you don't know what you don't know. In other words, you can say, how come the Rockies didn't trade Trevor Story to the Yankees for a slew of prospects or to the, you know, n name some competing team? You don't know, A, what was offered, and B, if that doesn't match up with the value of a compensatory pick. Um, how, how would you, um, you know, evaluate that without knowing all the facts? So to me, I think anyone in a position to make a trade of a player like Trevor Story is you establish a value for said player. Um, that is your benchmark, and that is what you are looking for. And if it's two pieces, it's two pieces. If it's three pieces, it's three pieces. And when you begin to engage in those trade conversations, I think you will know what others view the value of said player and whether or not a deal can be made in the market, because you never know. It could be one team that is willing to pay that price, whereas it could be five teams willing to pay that price or nobody. And until those conversations start, you don't know if your value matches the open market's value. I think for a situation where you're talking about a compensatory pick, that's not – and this is where I had to learn and understand that it's not necessarily one player. That one player, yes, you do get in replacement of – if Trevor were to leave for free agency, but you also get slot dollars, which can be used to sign other players. And it might net you more than you would have gotten in the trade because you're able to sign someone later in the draft by saving some money on that compensatory pick. Yeah, I, I've pointed this out earlier. It, you know, it's easy to say, oh, this team did well because they got, you know, 
three bodies back for you know a pretty good player, a rental for for a couple of months. Um, the only team that gave up a top prospect, and in fact, their number one and number two prospect, w- was the Dodgers. And in return, we know they got a Hall of Fame pitcher who's still pitching at, at almost a Hall of Fame level. And they got back an elite player in Trey Turner. We're talking, and So that was different. But a lot of these guys that moved, it doesn't mean they don't become really good players. You don't know right now. But they weren't you know, number one prospect, number three prospect for said player. And maybe Trevor, I'm getting long-winded here, but Corey, maybe Trevor's down year and the fact that he has dealt with, you know, an elbow situation at least earlier in the season, maybe that affected things. I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. But I think when you put all of that into the calculus of value, I think, again, most, how would I, most teams who have the player that is, on the trade market, right? The, the Rockies, in this case, they have Trevor Story. Whether it's the Braves and Dansby Swanson, they are going to value their player typically higher than other teams would. Uh, I mean, that's just kind of the the facts of the matter of, you know, you drafted this player, you developed this player, they are yours. It, you tend to skew that way, and that's okay. I have no – I see that as normal. Uh, again, though, one of the things I've always understood is that the trade market will tell you the, the field value of your player. We'll have more with one of my partners, Corey Sullivan, in a moment. But first, this for Ideal Home Loans. Just uh, finished a refinance a little more than a week ago. I've told you that they are saving me close to $1,000 a month. That's pretty good last time I checked. You need to call Ideal Home Loans, 303-867-7000. They make the process so easy, and they're going to save you money. That's why countless people have gone back again and again when it's time to refinance or if they're purchasing a new home or if you're consolidating debt or if maybe you're unclear on the market and where it's going, give them a call. They're going to educate you. They're going to assist you. They're going to look at where you currently are and perhaps where you can be in the very near future. We all like to save money. They help you do it. And they've been doing it for more than 20 years in this market and also now down in Arizona. It's Brent Ivinson's team. They're great to work with. They're fun to work with. If that's a, a strange statement, it may sound that way, but I really enjoy all of their folks and I've met many of them through the years. Ideal Home Loans. Give them a call. 303-867-7000. 303-867-7000. Now more with Corey Sullivan. Let's move from Trevor because there there are other players that were mentioned. There are other players that, from afar, it would it would seem to make some sense uh, to move because the Rockies farm system on the lower levels has some intriguing prospects. At the upper levels, a little bit less so. Uh, you know, a few years ago, the Rockies farm system was in a great position. A lot of those guys, you know, graduated to the big leagues and were kind of the core of the seventeen and eighteen playoff teams. Um, and, and there seems to be uh, a shortage of talent right now by many experts' measurements. Would it have not made sense um, with a Bard? We'll come back to John Gray in a moment because I think his situation is unique. But a Bard, a Crone, to get something in return for them. What's your take there? 
To me, it's a cost opportunity analysis. You know, for a guy like Daniel Barge, obviously you're only owing him, I, my guess at this point is about one, $1.2 million. That's a straight up guess though. Uh, so you're going to have to replace that player. There's a cost to that. And is the person that's going to fill it take advantage of the opportunity? The second part to me is the value Daniel Bard brings in his life experience, not necessarily baseball experience, because when you're talking about younger guys in that bullpen that don't have that experience, that have gone through some struggles, they need someone to talk to. And there is some real, real strong value, especially pitching at Coors Field, as you know, to having someone with an open ear that's just willing to be a sounding board for younger players. So for me, with him having a year of arbitration left, I just feel like that's an opportunity you just don't come across in a position at Coors Field, to me. Um, so I can completely understand. I could have seen it both ways, but I, I see why you keep him there. For John Gray, he's been very vocal about wanting to stay in Cor- at, at Coors Field with the Rockies. I also think, given his success at Coors Field, you, it's very rare to find someone that has that success and is willing and wanting to stay with that organization. So I think for the Rockies, that's one of those where y- you just have to either say, John, we need to move on, or John, you're staying with us. And I think by not trading him and pulling him back pretty early, they made their statement pretty loud. Yeah, I would I would agree with that, which kind of takes me to where the Rockies are moving forward. You can't change history. I, I, I say this all the time, whether it's in uh, relationships or talking to kids I coach or my own boys that, you know, and you learn this in baseball, uh, I think maybe more so than any other sport, Corey, and obviously you lived this for a long time as a, as a as a player, is you can't change what just happened. It's hard it's hard to say that and actually implement, but you can't change if you punched out three times yesterday, you can't change it, but all you can do is try to have a good at bat your first time you go to the plate. So we you can't change the whole Nolan situation. You can't change the fact that the Rockies made a determination to to hang on to Trevor and and, and see what the offseason brings. The one thing that came out of the last week, Billy Schmidt was um, very clear, and I agree wholeheartedly with this assessment. The Rockies have an outstanding rotation right now. And you don't know how long that lasts because of the fickleness of, of sport, which means you have to complement that immediately. Can that be done? Uh, I think it can. I think for, you know, Bill Schmidt and the Rockies front office at this point, it is trying to understand the needs for next year as well as two years. I mean, when you look at a roster construction, you have to look at, you know, years of service, uh, where they are in relation to free agency. <clears throat> so you understand your cost and also your prospects. You know, you kind of map out a one-year, two-year, five-year, ten-year plan. And I think if you're assessing for next year, hypothetically, you're right. They've got a, a foundational five starters at this point that can pitch successfully at Coors Field, which is something that this organization has never had, and they have sought for it for, you know, almost 30 years with the organization. And I think you then have to look at, okay, we've got some young bullpen pieces, so we might need to add there. 
given their history of the signing of free agents and the success or lack of success they had, I think you have to look at the trade market in the offseason for some bullpen arms. And then I think you start filling in the pieces with some veteran, you know, uh, position players where you might need them. And I think if you can pull it off, you have a real opportunity. If you don't think you can pull it off in the offseason, that's where I think you're going to have to pivot and change your approach to next year and maybe the year after that. Uh, if you can pull it off and you target the arms you want for the bullpen and you get the veteran pieces you want, I think you have to put your foot to the pedal and go because this game's always built around pitching and defense. As, as hard as people have tried to alter that, it just comes down to that. It really is that simple. And when you have five guys that can pitch at Coors Field – which I've never seen, and I don't think you have, right? Uh, the only uh, Corey, I, I, you and I have talked off, off the air about this. The only, the only team there, there's a couple that that came close. The '09 team that ro- rotation stayed together, and you know, day in and day out grinded. I don't know; it was probably devoid of a, of a true one, if you will. I've always felt like you can win a lot of games with five really good threes, um, but right now, I mean, I think. I think Herman is a lower end one. Oh, I don't mean that to be faint praise. I mean I, that actually uh, I, I think is a compliment. Freeland is pitching like he did in in 2018. I'm really intrigued by Gomber. John Gray's better than he's ever been. You know he's a comfort guy. You alluded to it earlier, and it's why the Rockies want to keep him. Um, I think this could be the best they've ever had, but it's such a small window typically with pitchers. I think you can get hitters here. Bullpen-wise, again, I'm asking you to, to play a role that, that you're intrigued by, but you're not in that position. But how do you go get bullpen arms unless they're coming off a really bad year? Because we know, unless you really overpay, elite arms are not coming to Colorado. No, 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 right. And I think you have to target the guys that have one to two years of service time that have had some really – large bursts because the hard part is service time is very different in the last year or two obviously with last year only being 60 games and this year changing to 162 game season we don't know the effects that's going to have on the arms next year or the year after so you've got to target the guys with very little major league miles but some strings of major league success that you believe can truly impact that bullpen and I think you're going to have to do it through the trade market, and you're going to have to give up those pieces that we're talking about at the lower levels and some of the position player ones at the upper levels, if not in the major leagues. That, that to me, is the only way you can really pull that off. With uh, helping the offense, you know, people say, well, you had Nolan Arenado, you had Trevor Story if Trevor, in fact, moves on, which it appears is, is extremely likely. Can you get pieces that help you win offensively that don't require a an investment of you know multiple nine figures. Yeah, I I mean I think I look at the history when you went and got Michael Kadire, when the Rockies went and got Justin Morneau. I think those are the types of veteran players that have that voice in the clubhouse that have had some serious success with other organizations and come here and want to hit and want to perform. And they are at a very cost-effective price, where you're talking three years, $30 million for Kadire. Um, I think Morneau was right around there, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, reason- they're shorter-term 
and in today by today's standards, reasonable deals to what you're right. saying. Yep. And I think those, you know, ancillary peripheral pieces just complement the young core of position players and can provide that that slow heartbeat in the box in those big situations or the voice that needs to be heard for the younger guys for that situation. We'll have more with Drew and Corey Sullivan right after this. I want to tell you once again about an outstanding family law firm that I could not recommend any higher. And we know that unfortunately divorces happen and people grow apart. It's a reality. It's a difficult time in life and a difficult process to navigate. You need understanding. You need compassion coupled with outstanding legal advice and counsel. And you'll find it at one of the top family law firms in the region in Cox, Baker and Page. That's Cox, Baker and Page. They've been celebrated and honored for their work and their compassion for a number of years by U.S. News and World Report and Laura Page. And Mary Cox are consistently listed by them with a best lawyer distinction. So if you or someone you know needs assistance, reach them at coxbakerandpage.com. Mention you heard it from me and receive a discount on your initial consultation. Once again, it's coxbakerandpage.com, a family law firm. Now back to Drew with Corey Sullivan. You hear on occasion people saying, well, the Rockies are going to get a terrible reputation. You know, Arenado had a very public spat or, or probably a stronger, you know, disagreement uh, with the with the organization. Uh, Trevor Story this last week, even though Trevor is not, uh, does not, his personality is not one where he's going to come out and, and you know, issue some bombastic statement, but he said he was disappointed or, um, you know, surprised or there were some, you know, words in there that could be from a connotative standpoint could be taken as, you know, negative toward the organization. Does that truly affect, you know, free agents in other markets where a team gets can get a bad reputation or is or is that not completely accurate? Uh, I think teams definitely can. Um, I think in regards to Nolan's situation, uh, that was a different regime, you know. Um, I think when it comes to Trevor and his situation, I think both he and the Rockies front office and Bill Schmidt, I think they did their best to communicate. I'm not exactly sure where the misstep was, whether it was, you know, Trevor just started hearing his name so much or his agent started you know, telling him this or that, or maybe there was a real communication. Again, I don't know, but I know Bill Schmidt as a baseball guy, as do you, and I think he knows being upfront and honest is the biggest key. So I think for free agents coming into Colorado in the future, I don't think they will see that because I think they will have their their own experience, their own opportunity to assess that communication and you know, I think that's the way every player thinks is, yes, they listen to others' experiences, but they also filter them for themselves and make their own choices. Right. Good point. How much, uh, Corey, how much do you think the DH is going to assist specific to the Rockies in upgrading the offense quickly, which has been a big part of our discussion? I think it should really, really help. It'll be interesting to see with a full-time DH, though, because do you commit one person to it, or is it DH not by committee, but giving some of the guys more days off 
with an opportunity to still play in the lineup. That's one we'll have to see because I think obviously you've got Charlie Blackman who all of a sudden is playing like he's 26 again. And will you be able to use that for him? Will you be able to use it if a Trevor is in the lineup and he's played 35 days in a row, a Ryan McMahon? That's where I think it'll be interesting because obviously in the American League currently you have just DHs. That is their job. That is their position. And I think given the extreme circumstances that go with your body healing, playing at altitude, I think the Rockies will have an opportunity to keep guys healthier. Uh, but I'll be interested to see if they use it in a way of, you know, four days a week it's this one guy, right? Or five days a week it's this one guy. I think they'll move it around too. I agree, I agree yeah. with you. And I, and I think it also um, can be a, a carrot for, you know, there are players that enjoy playing the field and feel like they're going to be better offensively because they're really engaged. I mean, Charlie's on record as saying that. He does not like to be a DH. But Charlie also realizes in his mid-30s that to keep to keep getting four at-bats but maybe only run around in the field four or five days a week could really be beneficial toward his productivity and his long, you know, long, longevity in the game. Right. And I think for someone like Charlie, who's so self-aware, I think – Asking him about DH two, three, four years ago, his answer has changed and modified over time. One other question, um, you know, as we as we kind of wrap this, do you think in your crystal ball, Sully, that the not saying that the seven, eight year deals, the ten year deals that we've seen will will completely dry up and go away, but do you think they'll be somewhat less prevalent and maybe teams? will pay a higher uh, AAV, average annual value, over three years. In other words, you know, okay, we'll pay you $40 million a year, but it's just for three years. So if, you know, it becomes a train wreck, we, we have, you know, we see the end of the, the tunnel. And if you're still kicking ass in three years, you, you're a free agent again. I, I really do. I think I've I think I've been on record for saying this for about four or five years. I think it, the trend is going to head that way. I think the new CBA will be interesting because if they're able to change the, you know, years of arbitration or the years of free agency and shorten those where guys have more control over their careers, uh, I think you're going to see guys start targeting organizations for winning, if you know what I mean, but in a shorter term as well. I think players have realized that they don't necessarily want to lock themselves into those contracts either. And I think you are going to see more and more of the two, three, and the max, I would say, is maybe a four-year deal where they are, the AAV is 40 to $50 million. And I know how that sounds, but I think you're getting to a point where teams understand their windows better. Um, they understand the how, how the recycling and rebooting process goes. And locking themselves into those situations, some teams can still do it, and some teams will do it in the future. And, you know, you get a guy like Fernando Tatis Jr., who is a landscape-altering for decades, right? Uh, so I think you're still going to see those. But I think, I, I mean, for me, if I was a GM and I could do that, I would. I just think it makes more sense because it doesn't tie your hands when it comes to payroll for the long term. Now, the interesting thing will be I don't think we'll ever see one-year deals like that. And the reason being is I'm pretty sure you can't get insurance on a one-year contract. Yeah, I, I see, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and I also think from 
a front office and ownership standpoint, even above front office, that makes so much more sense in that you can somewhat right or wrong. If a player doesn't perform, it's only three years. Um, and most organizations are not able to operate as the Dodgers or the Yankees do. Uh, more, most organizations are going to fall somewhere within in the classification of middle class. Um, and therefore, the Rockies learned this. Yeah, the pandemic hit and everything. And as much as they wanted Nolan in the fold, I mean, an eight-year deal can be onerous because you know going in, Sully, that there's a really good chance the last two, three years you're paying for what that player did earlier and you know it's no longer anywhere close to a good deal. But maybe the Dodgers can handle that. We know that. Maybe the Yankees can handle that. But but 25 to 27 teams outside of those couple can't do it that way. No, I, I just think the the burden is too great. I think it, it can t- tie the hands of the organization for too long a period of time where you kind of just tread water. Yeah, no question. All right, the, so the, the final question would be this. Given the Rockies' rotation, which we discussed in depth, can the Rockies make a sizable leap in the win-loss column from whatever this ends up to be and the Rockies are playing much better baseball over the last month. We know that it's been better on the road. But can they make a sizable leap and truly be a playoff caliber team by some offseason moves in 2022? I say yes. I say the they would have to be very bold and committed to the to the idea without sacrificing the long term. And that's always the hard balance. And obviously for Bill Schmidt and the Rockies front office, that's the assessment they're trying to make as well. Sully, uh, I appreciate it, brother. Have a great uh, day with Riley. I will see you in a few hours at the Old Yard. Sounds good. Thanks, Drew. Thanks again to uh, Sully. And as we uh, get ready to close this out, I want to give you an update, as I said, on on a few Rockies prospects. Uh, the trade in the offseason, Nolan Arnado to the Cardinals got you know, widely panned, especially here, grandly unpopular. And certainly uh, we understand that. And uh, we had talked a great deal about it. Austin Gomber, though, has been really good. We've had that discussion. The top prospect, and they got four of them, but the top prospect they got from the Cardinals was a young man, Elris Montero, who is a third baseman, a big, strong guy, saw him briefly in spring training this year, and he went to Hartford in A. Well, right now in Hartford, in the Northeast League, the Eastern League, Northeast Division of the Eastern League, he is the uh, co-leader in home runs in the league with 20. He is among the leaders in OPS at 914. He is the leader in runs batted in. Uh, his slash line, 281. Batting average, 366 on base percentage, 548 slugging percentage. Very intriguing. And once you get to double A and you master double A, which apparently he has, you are very close to the big leagues. So a name to remember. Also, Michael Tolia from UCLA. Saw him in the Futures game. He had a monstrous home run in the Futures game. Big Strong, switch-hitting first baseman who's got really soft hands, very good defensively. 
He hit 17 home runs in Spokane. He was recently moved to a double A, so he's moving up. Wanted to let you know about him as well. There's um, a couple of guys in Fresno, that's low A ball, that you need to be aware of. One name you probably have not heard, Ezekiel Tovar. He's from Venezuela. He's 20 years old. He's hit 11 home runs. He's 21 out of 25 in stolen bases. And uh, Ezekiel Tovar has an OPS of 848 right now in the Cal League. So he's done impressive uh, things. He's a shortstop, by the way. Drew Romo, who the Rockies took in the compensatory round a year ago out of the Woodlands in Texas, one of the top high school catching prospects. And this, again, was a compensatory pick after the first round, or as part of the first round, I should say. Same thing, the Rockies, in all likelihood, that's what they're going to receive for Trevor Story. Romo's 19. He's playing as a young guy in the Cal League, and he was drafted with the understanding that defensively outstanding and that the bat would have to improve over time. Well, the bat so far has been really good. He's He's got a close to an 800 OPS and is doing really good things in Fresno. So that's a, another young guy that you may have heard of the name, but wanted to give you an update of just how he's progressing because uh, things uh, look really good so far for Drew Romo. Uh, another kid to uh, be aware of, the Rockies' first-round pick last year. He's in Fresno, and after a slow start, Zach Veen, who's that rangy center fielder, 6'4", plus, who has a whippy bat. He's been compared, at least physically, to Cody Bellinger. Um, 11 home runs. He's slashing 281, 384 on base percentage, just under 500 slugging, and OPS just under 900. Also, he has stolen 28 bases. So Zach Veen is uh, looking very much like uh, a first-round pick and a high first-round pick so far in his young career. Just wanted to give you an update on some of those names uh, from the minor leagues. We don't get an opportunity to talk about them quite frequently. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Drew Goodman Podcast. As always, a reminder uh, to join my good friends, Patrick Lyons and Drew Creaseman on uh, the DNVR podcast. They do it daily. They break down everything about the Rockies. I'm with them uh, at least once a week, and uh, we have a lot of fun, and they hit baseball from a number of different angles. So make sure you download and subscribe to the DNVR Rockies podcast also. We'll chat next week. Stay safe, stay well, and enjoy the rest of the coming days. Talk to you in a week.